0: Hi, this is Mike Spivey. It's Saturday, January 16th. The podcast this week was a little different. We spent three days interviewing various groups of law school applicants, and we asked them a series of questions, which I'm actually going to read, because I think it would be kind of interesting if you asked yourself these questions before you listen to their answers and see if the answers are different or if they overlap. The questions we asked were, what has surprised you the most about the law school admissions process? What has been your least favorite part? what are your expectations for law school? And if you could give yourself one piece of admissions advice going back to the very first day of the application process, but knowing what you know now, what would it be? So without further delay, here are their answers. My first question would be, what has surprised you the most about the law school admissions process?
1: Yeah, so I think for me... I am coming into this as a non-traditional applicant. I haven't been applying to schools for a very long time, about a decade, uh, actually a little bit more. And so I guess I didn't uh, remember how random it feels when you get decisions, like I'll be waitlisted by lower ranked schools and then admitted to higher ranked schools. And it all just seems very random.
2: As something sort of similar, but not exactly the same as I just think I didn't understand what the waiting process was going to be like at all. Like I felt like I submitted my applications in and there's that like great feeling when you have all your apps submitted and you're like, yes, I'm done. And then you are waiting and you go on to something like Reddit and you're like, wait, what's UR1, what's UR2, what's YP? What does it mean when you've like gone red? And all of a sudden there seems like this whole other like half of the law school application like Process that I definitely wasn't expecting um, and wasn't prepared for. So, yeah.
3: You know, what's really interesting is that I feel like so many of people who tend to apply to law school are people who love research, who love delving into details. The first thing I did is try and get as much research and resources as I could. And I think what surprised me is kind of the lack of anything that feels like a confident data point that you can rely on. This whole process feels so heavily based on your stats being like, LSAT and GPA. And I'm sure it's not. I'm sure um, there is a lot of holistic review. But definitely in terms of what I as an applicant can access and research, namely being like, let's say websites like uh, Law School Data, those tend to be kind of a self-selected group of people with really high stats. (laughs) Meaning for me as an applicant, it's hard to feel a lot of hope. So I feel like a lot of times this whole process Even as a very optimistic person, it can feel a little, it's like a long-term, kind of a little bit of a sad process because you constantly feel like you're comparing yourself to other people in a pool in which your research isn't as comprehensive as you would like it to be. So I think the whole process has kind of been a reminder that you need to take a step back from sometimes Reddit and law school data and remind yourself that it probably is a holistic process, but it's okay that... um, to some degree, that it is based on numbers. And that means you have to have a realistic understanding of what schools you're applying to, what makes a target, what makes a safety, what makes a reach, yeah.
4: Uh, All right. My biggest surprise is that I realized there isn't really a fully reliable predictor on the outcomes, because all we can see are the people's numbers. We can't really judge their softs. And I thought I'd be safe above 75th percentile, but I ended up getting waitlisted. So... This whole process is more holistic than I originally thought.
0: I would add to that, one of our hopes is that that people applying next cycle can learn from you all. You'll see by the tone of the questions that we're gonna trend in this direction. And one of my messages for people applying next cycle or any future cycle is a lot of these data predicting tools are just almost worthless because we've reverse engineered some of the numbers and it's like four percent of the data pool in the top four percent. Just as a personal matter, if you're above 75th and you're on a wait list, that may have deleterious impact on your scholarship money, I hate to say, but I suspect you're going to get a lot of admits and schools are still sorting out their data. Yeah, thank you.
5: Uh, So I would say one unexpected thing, I tutor a lot of undergraduate college admissions. And with undergraduate, you almost always have a pretty certain date when you'll receive a decision or when you'll receive a decision by... The true rolling nature of the law school admissions process is stressful, right? A lot of us applied in fall, and we have no idea if we're going to get a decision tomorrow, if we're going to get a decision weeks from now, months from now. I think the stress of sort of waking up every week and having no idea if decisions might be coming your way is a lot. Um, And the other thing I would say, I think Reddit definitely contributes to this problem. I come to this process from years of work experience in a field that's pretty unrelated from law. And I'm one of those candidates that in a timeline where the pandemic never happened, I don't think I would be applying to law school. Um, And because of that, I've been surprised to see how many applicants seem to Stake their personal sense of worth on these decisions. And I understand that that's really easy to do, um, but it's a little scary to see how many people are really staking what they view as their entire sense of self value, their entire life plans on these decisions. And to be in that community on Reddit can be overwhelming.
0: Thank you. I, I just, I literally just wrote a blog on this a few days ago. I think it's called The Malevolent Puppeteer. It's not on our website. It's on my personal blog, Spivy blog. And it's about that exact thing, about self-determinism versus credentialism. And I think credentialism wins out on Reddit 99 out of 100 times, and that's a shame. So thank you.
6: Hi. So I would say the most unpleasant surprise for me was how impactful getting a rejection was on my self-esteem. I have very strong numbers, and I was expecting... I mean, you know, not like universally getting in somewhere, but it definitely surprised me how bad like seeing that rejection was and seeing how accomplished other people are and having always staked my value as a person and my yeah, I don't want to say academic accomplishments, but like my my intelligence and seeing all these other people who are so much more accomplished and so much more getting in. That that was the most unpleasant surprise for me. How badly that made me feel about myself.
0: Yeah. I also think one another thing to note that we touched on is when people enter their data on law school numbers or law school data or whatever, it's generally going to be the happy people racing to report their results. And on Reddit, the same thing. It's often the happy people racing the post. The same message for me is you get a lot of false positives early on and it's a long cycle and we're still only a third of the way through it.
7: I guess what's most surprising is... That for me, I think for a lot of us, the part, like after all the apps have been submitted and I've taken the LSAT and all the stressful work is done, like this part is actually way more stressful than doing the work of getting it all done. Like the waiting, especially being, you know, a splitter in this cycle is very, very stressful.
8: For me, uh, being a GRE applicant, it's been really stressful. I wasn't really aware of the intricacies and kind of the vagueness of information provided for GRE applicants. I'm a first-generation student, and I thought, you know, what was on the website would be the truth and all the information available. And as I've gone through the process, I've kind of learned a lot more about how the GRE is evaluated. We saw with the 509 data that the information that we knew before and after the 509 data was released was completely different. And I think that that was really stressful for a moment because I had been trying to gauge my application based on theories and and ways that ADCOMS was talking about the GRE. But now with the 509, it's been a little bit better, but definitely just a lot of stress, especially with the quote unquote unprecedented competitive cycle. And then you have this anomaly with the GRE on top of it it's just been really stressful in that sense.
0: If I can help you out, I did mention on Reddit, hopefully you saw it, but maybe you didn't. From our data, GRE applicants don't have better or worse cycles, but they do have much slower cycles.
8: I've been seeing that to a certain extent. Um, you know, Some applications I've been stuck on UR2 forever, but yeah, definitely. I think as years goes on and more people opt to apply with the GRE, things will become a little bit more predictable, but especially right now, you know, it's, it's all a mess. I think most
9: surprising to me has been what I would guess is the lack of emphasis that softs seem to be having. I've been working in big law for like going on three years and I thought that those kinds of things would have a much more substantial role in my admissions cycle than I think they are. Um, and I've found that really surprising. Maybe I was naive to think that, I'm not sure. But for me, I think that's been kind of surprising
0: yeah thank you for people with softs particularly if you're a splitter more particularly if you're a reverse splitter and most particularly if you're below both medians generally what happens is when numbers stabilize for a law school that's when softs start popping and numbers don't stabilize until the summer so if you have exceptional softs those do matter And in many cases, I'm glad that law schools message that they matter because they mean it, but they don't, you know, have the footnote at the bottom about the timing and about the data centricness of the early part of the admissions cycle. And we're still in the early part of the admission cycle. I would estimate that most schools have 60 to 80, and in a couple of cases, near hundred percent of their admits left to do. And a lot of those admits for the softs happen not in January, February, or March, but starting in April. Hopefully that's helpful.
10: Thank you so much. Yeah, that is. Um, hi. I would say that I was most surprised by the lack of clear communication to law school applicants from law schools. Even if you apply as early as you possibly can, especially in this cycle, you could still be waiting until sometime in April to hear back. I think that would be okay if it were more clearly communicated I know some schools do holds, which I presume is happening to some of my applications when you go under review two and then you just don't hear back for months. It would be nice to have some more clear cut deadlines on when you could expect to hear if you applied. And even if that was just a hold or some kind of messaging from law schools about what's going on with your application, because I think as somebody said, the most stressful part seems to be. Even after how stressful the LSAT was and submitting all the applications, the waiting is the hardest part. So I think just more clear communication would be helpful. And I just remember in college, there was even like an Ivy day in college where all the decisions would come out at one time, which, I mean, I'm not sure that saves much anxiety either, but I like the way that Harvard does it where they have clear dates set for when they will let you know about decisions. I wish every school had some sort of system similar to that.
11: So I would say what's surprising to me is how little focus there is on why people are actually going to law school in the admissions process. The complexities and the stress of it do seem to often drown out the underlying reasons why people are choosing to go to law school. And I think that can sometimes be a bit disheartening. Um, The other thing that's kind of surprising to me is how prohibitively expensive it is for most people, especially compared to undergraduate admissions. I know plenty of people who just studied for the SAT uh, without hiring like really expensive tutors or, you know, using free materials provided through school. And that doesn't really seem to be the case with the LSAT.
0: Thank you. I hope that lots of entities listen to these interviews and understand where applicants are coming from, which is why we're having them. So thank you. The thing that surprised me the most was that numbers
12: matter as much as they do. And for me, it actually kind of benefits me. When I applied to undergrad, I only applied to two schools. I just applied to two state schools, one in my state and one in a neighboring state. But now, uh, because I was able to be somewhat successful in undergrad, you know, I was wondering, you know, is it even possible for me to go to a top tier school like a T14? And I was surprised to hear that the answer was yes, despite going to like a Big Ten state school. I never knew that would like like a Harvard would even take or consider someone that goes to a Big Ten school. So that was like surprising for me to hear.
6: I think I'm next. This whole time, I've literally just been laughing to myself and agreeing with all of you. (laughs) Um, Okay, what surprised me the most? Non traditional encompasses a lot. I think going into the cycle, I consider myself non traditional. I still do but I think I kind of just assumed that everyone else kind of was along maybe similar lines to me, but then I realized non-traditional also encompasses people who have been working as a paralegal for years or have been working in big law or you know all these things that are very much within a straight on line towards law school rather than myself who has not been at all adjacent to law in my career or school in any very clear ways, and that all of us are kind of lumped together in terms of how we talk about different applicants. And that is very confusing because somebody who has a resume that does not include a internship with a law firm or things like that is going to be looked at very differently than somebody who does. And I don't know if I understand fully the difference between the two, because it's just talked about as kind of this monolith. So I guess my surprise is just that it's, it's hard to kind of figure out where I lie amongst everyone else as somebody who doesn't fit in the traditional model
13: everyone. Um, It's interesting because someone else earlier mentioned that the surprising thing for them was the schools like not having specific deadlines and just the ambiguity of the admissions process and some of the barriers that are put up for some applicants that aren't financially well off. But uh, this is my second cycle. I think what's been most surprising for me, broadly speaking, is just the community of applicants and the wealth of information and resources that's available online. And of course, the problem is you just have to find them. Uh, And I'm talking like things like Law School Transparency, the famous Law School Data, and Reddit, of course, and all the various podcasts that are available both for uh, the LSAT and for the admissions process. And I think the underlying thing behind all that is just how many people seem to care uh, about the process uh, and increasing access to all people.
0: I would agree that I love watching how many people care Law school is a lot different than the admissions process. But one of the cool things about the admissions process is you see people cheering each other on, even though when you think about it, they're cheering each other on for limited spots, often in the same schools they want to go through. And that's like, you know, I could write a blog on just the humanity of that. And it's really awesome. So thank you for sharing.
14: Hi, all. So, what's been most surprised? There's a lot of things that I've been surprised by, but um, I think every day I wake up and think about how much mental space this process has taken up in my life like probably almost every single law school applicant i am a highly productive person so like not being able to get anything done is really unheard of for me <laughs> so i guess that's to say that like personally not a fan of the rolling admissions i do understand the logic behind it and why admissions might need that sort of flexibility, but man, if they could just give me a date and then I could forget about it, it was so much easier when I was waiting for my LSAT score and I could just be like, okay, it's coming out on this date at this time. And I can just not think about it until then. But now I'm like waking up and refreshing my status checkers like a maniac. And that is surprising for me.
0: All right, question number two. What has been your least favorite part? it might be redundant. And if it is, you can just say it. But what's been your least favorite part of the admissions process?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, My least favorite part has just been getting the waitlist emails um, (laughs) and reading them going, oh, man, I really put my heart and soul in this application. And I love this school. And I'm not going to go there, probably. So I think that's been the worst part. Um,
2: I think my least favorite part was realizing that this was going to be as competitive as a cycle as it was, realizing that there were so many like high, high top tier like LSAT scores, I think was tough because I think you do a lot of research at the beginning of this process to try to figure out at least numbers wise where you might sit. So it sort of gives you the sense of like, okay, I guess I have some idea. And then when you hear it's as a competitive cycle as it's going to be, when you hear that there's so many more top LSAT scores than there usually are, it sort of left me feeling like I had no idea where I was. You, I have no idea how much schools may be trying to increase their medians by. And I think it's just tough. You already don't have a lot of information. Um, and feeling like you're even more in the dark is never a comfortable thing. So I think that was the hardest part for me. So
3: I actually, I, I'd like to say it's tied between two things. One, I think scholarship uncertainty which is slightly later on in the process or like after you got your acceptance right um i think so much of that like i can't tell you the amount of like grasping at straws that we're all going through to understand like what is the realistic option for scholarship here right and that changes your ability to consider different tiers of schools because like you know I, i've been lucky i've been able to save some money but you know law school is a huge huge time and financial cost And I don't think people realize that like $300,000, right? For three years of law school is a lot of money that really does narrow your options. And, um, I think the one thing that's kind of a shame is that lawyers are um, oftentimes generally assumed to be kind of unhappy people. And I've noticed that the ones that are really unhappy are the ones who tend to have less options in what they would like to do. So they might be stuck in a career because they need to pay off a ton of loans. And I would like to emphasize like my fiance is a lawyer. She's like a very happy lawyer. (laughs) I don't think all lawyers are sad. It just seems to be very associated with feeling financially trapped. And so that's a real one, you know, early on in the admissions process, you're trying to think of like, okay, what's the school I can go to? What's the thing that's going to give me most financial options so that I can go and do what I want to do as a lawyer and like do all the great things I want to do. And there's a really just a huge lack of data. Like I pull that data from like trying to associate people's LSAT scores and GPAs and somehow come up with a number of how much money I might get. But I have no idea, totally out of thin air. And then second, I think is more of a personal thing where, um, I, I think it comes down to the little check boxes you you hit during your application of um, realizing that uh, so many of us are considered white when we don't identify as white. So like I'm Middle Eastern, but like I know that I have to put down Caucasian and it kind of is just a very personal, it's, I, I understand why they do that, but at the same time, I'm like, but I never grew up feeling white. I never grew up feeling Caucasian, but the process doesn't really allow you to dive into that nuance. So that's really frustrating. <laughs>
15: Hi. So I would say my least favorite part about the process has probably been kind of the waiting, but more so like the disappointment of every week looking on and seeing like, oh, wow, this school's releasing decisions. Like, wow, it's going to be my turn this week to finally get an answer. And then like not hearing and just keeping doing it, I guess, every week after a while, it just kind of gets really disappointing. Um, And I think going into it, I also felt after I submitted my applications, I would feel much more relaxed and know I've done everything I can, especially because there's so much emphasis on statistics like your LSAT score and your GPA. So I kind of felt like maybe I could predict when I'd hear back from schools or what my decisions might be. But I've kind of found that that's not really true and like realizing it's going to take a lot longer. And I'm just really impatient. So I think that's my problem. That's probably been the
0: hardest part for me. Every year, one of my biggest challenges, almost on a humanistic level, is institutional memory on Reddit and Law School Missions is a year old. You all will go off to law school and you'll have other things to focus on. So every year at the beginning of the cycle, I see people who submit in September who you can tell they think they're going to hear back in October. And the reality is they might not hear back until March, April, or May. And early in the cycle, I try to signal that to the market and no one one pays attention. Like in September, no one's like, oh, that 5 guy might be right. But then in January, it's, oh my God, what's happened to my application? Have they lost it? So I appreciate your input. I'm trying to think of a better way early cycle to let everyone know that rolling is a misnomer in law school admissions and you might roll for a week or you might roll for eight months.
4: Um, So my least favorite part is definitely the waiting. I hate uncertainty and I'm quite neurotic. I like to refresh Reddit many times throughout the day and watch people get into amazing schools that I would love to be at. It hurts me pretty good. I just can't get enough of it. Other than that, everything else has been a lot of fun, actually.
5: I am so surprised that no one has said studying for the LSAT yet. Um, Maybe this is a group of people that really love the test. Uh, And it's funny, looking back, now that I've taken it, I got the score I wanted and I'm done. Now I have appreciation for the test and actually like it a lot and like talking about it. Uh, But studying for it was so disheartening. I know a lot of people have said this in a lot of ways, but I have never come across a mental task that is so designed to make smart people feel so dumb. I truly questioned whether I was, you know, despite being an academic, like high achiever my whole life, um, I have never questioned so many times in one period of my life if I'm really smart at all, or if it's just been my circumstances. I started with the diagnostic score in the 150s and ended with a high score that I was really happy with. But it was the battle, especially with something like logic games was so frustrating for me, because they really did not come naturally to me. And I had to work very hard using the seven sage method where you do a game over and over until you're finishing it perfectly under time. And it really just felt like a battle the whole time. I would have moments where I would you know, plateau, my score might plateau for weeks at a time. And I had a few practice tests where I literally cried. It is a, a disheartening test, even for the most brilliant amongst us.
3: Okay, just to, to um, emphasize, I think, especially the differences this year, um, the flex, I think the flex was so challenging because it made every question that much more important. It's like 75 questions, meaning like, especially when you're in the higher tier, like 160, 170s, that, you know, you can get one more question wrong and your score can bump up one, two points, which is the difference between being under a median, over a median. It can be so incredibly stressful to feel that one day, oh, wow, I'm, you know, my practice tests are in the 170s. I'm doing great. And the next day, you know, you, you drop five or 10 points because you just had a bad day. And yeah, you feel absolutely incompetent. And you're like, I, I could have sworn I was not this stupid, but I guess I am. I don't know. <laughs>
7: I'm an older student. Um, I'm in my early 30s. so I've been out of undergrad for a decade and don't have a great GPA, like in the low, very low threes. And I think it's the fact that that number that has been set in stone for 10 years that someone who I was a completely different person earned um, has such an effect on my future now. I can't even quantify how much of a different person I am now than I was then like so much has happened you know and then going into this cycle like realizing like oh that's actually in this kind of process that's considered a very low GPA and so it's like that one number I feel really good about the rest of my application and it's just like this one number that is something from 10 years ago that I can't change could have such an effect on this whole situation.
0: In admissions, we should care a lot less about the person someone was 10 years ago and care a lot more about the person someone is today. When Spivey Consulting makes hires, we don't ever ask someone what their college GPA was, or we actually don't even ask them what college they went to. So thank you.
9: Um, I think that I don't feel that my you know academic record is remotely indicative of my performance in my job or how I'll do in law school, yet it's something that is so you know innately tied to us i it feels like baggage honestly and i think that this whole process has been really like emotional and really i think it's really hard for me and a lot of other people i've talked to not to you know tie your self-worth to these numbers that would be my least favorite part of this i think that it isn't just about you know what i'm going to be doing with the next 3 years of my life or my career i think that trying not to wrap all of this up in who you are. And I don't know, I think that's been really frustrating to me. But I think a lot of schools say they take like a holistic review of your application. But at the end of the day, I do feel like those numbers are tied to you. And they aren't representative of who you are 10 years ago, or two years ago, a lot of things change. And sometimes I just don't feel like, you know, an addendum is ample space to explain that. And I know the onus is on admissions to like review thousands of applications and it's difficult to like, you don't expect them to meet every person individually and get the full picture. But I think that it's not the most, most holistic process. I think there's room for improvement there. At least in my opinion, I think that's been really frustrating.
0: One way to consider this is accomplishment is very outward facing and it might be what have you done in other people's minds. But to me, success is very inward facing and it is, do I love what I'm doing? So I try to think of what I'm doing in terms of that definition of success. And I really don't care much anymore about accomplishment. Thank you.
8: I would say mine is when schools don't update status checkers and you just have to wait for the phone call, that utter stress, um, especially for example, Penn's wave last week, I was so stressed for several hours and I kept getting spam calls during that time. And it's one of those things that I know which area code those spam callers are coming from. They are from my own area code, but I still answer the phone just in case. It's just this neurotic fear or anxiety or whatever it may be. And I think since you don't have a set date of when you're going to be hearing back, you're constantly on the subreddit or you're constantly waiting for a phone call and there's never really a moment of ease or a moment of silence because you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, at first I was like, you know what? Five o'clock at the end of the day, it'll be over. And then suddenly schools were updating status checkers after five o'clock over the weekend. And so it's been this, um, it's just it's just kind of assumed my entire life in that sense it's been very stressful. You know, I agree that there is a little bit of certainty when it comes to uh, set dates, for example, like an undergrad. I do like the idea of rolling admissions because, you know, potentially you'll hear back earlier and I've heard back and I think that's been great, but it's definitely super stressful and it has taken a huge toll on the way that I kind of navigate my life right now, because it's always checking things and making sure that everything's all right and second guessing and, you know, someone heard and someone didn't. And also the stress of phone calls as well. I don't know what to tell someone. Do I say thank you? Do I cry? I I just don't know what to do in those situations. So it's just a lot of stressful things that I wasn't expecting. I thought the stressful part would be sending my application and waiting for the decision, but there's a lot more stress that's going on. And I think, especially because everyone on the subreddit is so accomplished and so amazing, that you fall into the trap of comparing yourselves, comparing myself and ourselves against other applicants when we don't know them. And I think that that just adds to the further stress when people are hearing back and you kind of go into this imposter syndrome situation where you're wondering what you did wrong or what could you've done better and all of that good stuff.
10: My least favorite part of the application process has been how reductive it has felt. And not just in terms of being reduced to a number or how much value is placed on your LSAT and GPA, but I think also when writing something like a personal statement and trying to consolidate your personal narrative into two pages and make it, you know, potent and interesting and personal. But when you go to law school admissions panels, they'll tell you, don't talk in sweeping metaphors or don't be to this or to that. And you go on Reddit and people will say, careful not to talk too much about mental illness because then they might not think you're suited for law school, I can also see perhaps some schools being a bit ableist in that sense and why it might be difficult to talk about mental illness in a productive way on a law school application, if that makes sense, in all of its complexities. But at some point, you also have to sort of bear your traumas in some senses for some people if that's an important part of their narrative. And it also requires a certain level of vulnerability in order to be truthful about your experiences and what shaped you and even perhaps why you want to become a lawyer. So it's, for me, difficult to strike that perfect balance and can feel sort of productive in terms of learning to encapsulate yourself in a short application and expect that to be equivalent to understanding yourself as a multifaceted, interesting, complex person. And then the way that it's judged and reviewed so harshly and how just demeaning that experience can be, which I guess is perhaps an appropriate precursor to law school itself. But just how, I guess, reductionistic can feel going through this process has been sort of disheartening.
0: (laughs) I've read, I don't know, 60,000 applications, many, many touch upon mental health issues, the expression be kind because we're all fighting our own personal battles comes to mind because everyone is, including the person reading your application. If you're being sincere, they can probably relate. And I hope that's helpful.
11: Um, so my least favorite part was 100% the LSAT. It felt very much out of my control, whereas I could spend a lot of time and thought on my actual application I also had some pretty comically bad experiences at various testing centers, which at the time was stressful, but in retrospect, I can really laugh about because there was just like so absurd, all of the like string of events that happened to me. Also, maybe this isn't like my least favorite part, but the most stressful part for me is that I have one soft that I know is pretty interesting and unique. And I'm not sure how much it will help my application and trying to judge how My cycle is going to go, even though like that's not something that I should be thinking about or trying to judge whether or not it'll help me get into certain schools is pretty stressful and definitely something I shouldn't be doing. But something I think a lot about.
0: So I have good news and bad news. The good news is if it is indeed unique, it'll probably help you a ton because the bad news is in admissions, particularly when you've done it for many years, there's almost nothing that's unique. Like I had a applicant once who started an elephant refugee camp in Afghanistan that was unique and that person got admitted. Yeah. So if yours is is unique, then I would think that it would help you differentiate a lot in the summer.
12: Yeah, mine is kind of along the same kind of mental health discussion that was previously had. Um, I have a chronic illness. You know, it's been something that's been recently diagnosed in the past two years. And I'm just kind of getting to the point where I want to start pursuing a career again. And so I applied this cycle, but there's a lot of fear that's, tied to that um, chronic illness. And um, I wrote my personal statement about it. And when I showed it to my pre-law advisor at my undergraduate institution, they're like, oh, you have to make sure you say you're completely better or else, you know, the law school is not going to, they're not going to want to take you. If you don't say you're better, they're going to worry about your ability to perform because uh, some of the symptoms that that go along with the, the chronic illness are mental and affect my cognitive ability. So they're like, oh, make sure that you say you're better. And so like I I guess that's been really stressful because, you know, it it is something that has affected my life. It will continue to affect my life. There's a lot of fear that comes with that, especially when it comes to like, I know that there's a lot of hours that lawyers work, but it's it's still something that I want to do and I'm passionate about. So it's like, will I be able to succeed in the legal market? And because of that, you know, I'm a lot more debt averse. So I'm, I don't think I can work a big law job or the hours I come along with a big law job. So now I'm much more financially focused. So when I get a decision, it's not like, oh, I'm excited. I'm admitted. It's more, how much money are you giving me? Is this even an option? So there's just a lot of different concerns that go along with a chronic illness. And I don't think that the legal market right now is like super forgiving for that. Or I'm not sure if schools are even forgiving of that.
0: Yeah. I can't speak to law firms as much, but I can speak to law schools. And what I would say is you were given offensively bad advice from your pre-law advisor. I would venture to guess they've never made an admissions decision in their life. I'll reference William Ernest Henley. You probably recognize the name. He was a poet and he wrote a very inspirational poem titled Invictus, which translated from Latin means unconquerable. And when Henley wrote the poem, He was missing a foot because it had just been amputated and he had been in the hospital for years with multiple health conditions. And I think law schools are aware that we're not limited by a chronic illness or a mental illness and we can do wonderful things.
8: I'll also add on the topic of advisors. um, I also had a pretty negative experience with my college's pre-law advisor. I'm interested in going into litigation and my advisor was essentially like you need to go to a T3 to have any shot of going into litigation, which I know is false. And I think that further added a lot of stress in my application process, where I didn't know where this information was coming from. And this advisor is obviously speaking from a place of authority. And so there was a lot of stress trying to figure out what was actually correct and what wasn't. And I'm lucky that I had a few friends who are currently in law school who were able to kind of debunk that myth. But I often think that, especially just in my case, there was such an emphasis on the T14 to the point where my advisor didn't really care about the lower T14. He was kind of T6 or bust, And I thought that that was just very elitist. And I understand that, you know, there is some argument to be had about the T14 and the T6 or what have you. But I think ultimately to going to a pre-law student who is preparing their applications and telling them that they need to go to a T3 or a 6 to be a successful lawyer discounts the many students who end up being successful without those schools. And I think that's just something that I had an experience with. And I know is also something that a lot of other students have also experienced throughout their application process, which is incredibly unfortunate.
0: Yeah. You know, like any profession, there are people who are wonderful pre-law advisors, and there are people who have no experience in anything whose provost tells them, hey, you're going to be the pre-law advisor. If I were you, I would feel confident to go back to your pre-law advisor and say, you know, I think the advice you gave me was wrong. That's up to you. (laughs) Certainly don't let me tell you to do that. But the advice they gave you was wrong.
6: I think I might just be adding to what everybody has kind of said already, but I think on a bit of a wider note, mental illnesses and disabilities included, but also character and fitness and all of the possibly controversial parts of an application, I think there's a lot of, maybe not misinformation, I mean, I don't know how to judge that, but definitely a wide range of takes on how it will affect you so figuring out how to present that for me in a few different angles has not been great because i you know very much believe that they're all a part of the picture of who i am and very important to understanding me as a person but you know i chose one of my more controversial aspects to be a major part of my personal statement and i think it you know as people continue to talk about those kind of things in different ways, I still, you know, am thinking, oh my God, did I ruin all my chances? Was that the horrible decision to make? And it's awful to, you know, think about these things where I don't see them as bad parts of me, but to have this process, to have kind of changed that for me, at least in certain perspectives, which is, not ideal because I you know, want to be proud of the person who I am. And I am in general, but I think that this kind of throws a lot of us off of that.
0: For sure. The comparative and the feedback process it can be challenging, particularly when someone says, "You know, this is how you should do your personal statement and you didn't do it like that. If it gives you a little bit of a boost, what I could say is I could go through my files and find an A plus personal statement where the applicant literally you know, below both medians was admitted and the admissions dean were writing, I admitted you because of your personal statement. And I could take all that backstory out and post the personal statement on Reddit. And there would be 20 people saying this is a horrible personal statement. Someone without admissions experience probably can't tell you how your personal statement went, if that's helpful.
13: For me, I think generally I've enjoyed the admissions process I mean, as much as you can, and so much so that this is my second cycle. <laughs> but um, someone else mentioned the aspect where it's, it's almost reductionist, where you have to take away parts of yourself and present a certain part of you to these schools, um, and specifically the parts that they care about. And I think there's a bright side to that, like you get to create yourself and present the, the most positive version of yourself which is great and all, but I think the influence and the importance of rankings like USA News and how they come up with the rankings and specifically like GPA and LSAT reporting, uh, how that can kind of skew uh, the admissions away from a holistic process. Like, yeah, holistically, it does matter, especially later in the cycle, like you mentioned, but I think it, it's it's just annoying um, is that there can be people with great stories and great capacity to, to succeed, but and uh, They just don't have the right numbers or they don't have the right timing.
14: I would say, I think it's adding on to this general conversation, but I'm an older student and I come from a low-income background and it was very intimidating and like really panic-inducing to try and figure out all of this on my own. Of course, there's a lot of really great internet resources like Reddit and like some other websites and like the Spivy blog, but... It feels like everybody's having help. And I know um, just based on the responses here, that's not the case. And that's comforting. But when I'm in the process, it seems like it's set up to exclude people and to have all these sorts of gates and hoops that you're supposed to jump through. And it's stressful and confusing. And I think what adds to my frustration and is actually maybe my least least favorite part is like I'm used to doing things by myself. I'm used to people you know, telling me that that's probably not going to happen for me or that I can't. Um, That's very like old news for me. But it's disheartening to hear like other applicants like say to me and to other people that if you can't get into a T-14 or if you go to a T-50, like you're not going to be able to do the kind of work that you want to do. And I just know that's not true from my experience. And so I guess my least favorite part is I just want um, everybody to... Not buy into the elitism, because I feel like that's what's going to make it fade away. I've been thinking a lot about those things
0: lately. Thank you. And again, we do too. The whole elitism, buying into it is always on our mind. So thank you. My favorite clients, incidentally, and Ana can remember one who picked Michigan over Harvard. So my favorite clients are so often the ones that say, well, yeah, I got into Stanford, but I'm going to Vanderbilt. They always have this phenotype that you can almost like detect early. And this is, I mean, life is tough. Life right now, in some sense, is harder mentally and emotionally than it's ever been in the history of this planet because we've never been able to compare ourselves with others 24-7, 365, and we can now. But I think that's an important message to hear that there are people out there who choose a Michigan over a Harvard or a Vanderbilt over a Stanford.
16: Yeah, I think I'm just going to kind of echo the inequity that like occurs as a result of this process. There's so many hoops to jump through, and I just think those hoops are so much easier to jump through if you have money. You know, you can afford things like consulting. Thank thank you for you guys for putting out so much free content because I think that really evens things out in a lot of ways, but you know, you can afford consulting, I was able to afford tutoring, which was really helpful. But I also like wasn't able to take off work like a lot of people do to study for the LSAT. Like I was working full time to to afford tutoring. And that ended up really impacting my mental health, which you know, some applicants might not have to deal with. And at the same time, I have the privilege where I was able to like live at home. And in that sense, I didn't have to take care of rent another stress that I didn't have to worry about. So exhibiting privilege there and so I just think that ends up playing into the process so much that you get a lot of the same perspectives ending up at these top schools and then those people going on to hold some like very important jobs and that's often how we we end up having I think like power grabbers in a lot of our really important important positions is just because you know elitism breeds elitism breeds elitism so basically everybody has kind of touched on that at some point in in the interview but that's definitely like the biggest point of frustration for me
0: this is my favorite. I shouldn't say that. What are your expectations for law school?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, that's a really hard question. I, I think my main expectation is that I'm going to be challenged in a way that I haven't been before. I am expecting my first year to be really stressful as I kind of learn the uh, the curve in reading and An essay being like your whole grade. But I think my main expectation is to build a community that's going to last with me for the rest of my career. And that's something I'm really excited about. Um, Yeah, I feel like I sort of have a similar answer. My expectation is that
2: there will be a huge learning curve in terms of the amount of reading, the way that testing's done, the way that classes are held, and hopefully. I'll be able to figure that out and be prepared for it. But I, I just assume that at first it'll be tough and that there will be a big learning curve to it. But I think similarly, one of the things that differed for me with this process from when I applied to undergraduate schools is that I really did focus on the location of the places that I applied to. And I really do hope that like I could be practicing law in the area that I go to law school. So I'm hoping that you know part of that tough like first year of law school will sort of balance out with trying to get to know what could be a new home and a new community.
0: What's what's the expression on the and the first in, in the first year they scare you to death and the second year they work you to death and the third year they bore you to death. Did I get it right?
3: I think that is the expression.
0: Right. <laughs> There's a little just heard.
3: Here. I just heard that yesterday.
0: Actually, so that's <laughs> yeah. hilarious
3: to know that more people actually.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, that's a yeah. common phrase. I heard that in nineteen ninety nine. FYI, so it's very common.
3: <laughs> well, um, so I think in terms of expectations for law school, um, I think the funny thing, especially because you know, the only thing we all have to compare it to is mostly undergraduate. I think some people have done some graduate education coming into law school, but the vast majority I think have just done undergraduate education. And I think going into graduate school is very much, particularly for a professional school in which you like end with a certification, like there's a particular practice you are doing, which is like different than like an MBA, which is I think, you know, more widely applicable in what you can do. But this is like very much like you are going to take the bar, you're going to be a lawyer, probably right. That's the thing. At least for me, I'm going to go into this education a bit more consciously and with intent than I did in undergrad, particularly because it's just professional school. So what that tactically means is that I'm going in with, I think, a clear understanding of what I want, but you know, being open to other paths. Like, of course, I think going into law school, you know, there's a lot of other things you can want to do. Um, but I think going in with an intent of like, hey, here's how I can make the most of my graduate school experience, because I think so much of law is especially like you're playing for the long game, you're playing in the long term, right? So, so much of what you can do early on can affect, you know, what direction you go five, 10 years from now. So I'm going to go in kind of with, I literally have, it's really dorky. I have like an Excel spreadsheet of all of the things I want to do when I go to school. And like, I want to check out this program and this clinic and this class and that professor and whatever, um, because I want to make the most out of what I can do.
15: I think my expectation is that I'm going to be really challenged and that I'm honestly going to struggle a lot my first year. I'm looking forward to getting to like push myself a lot and get to learn skills that I've always wanted to know. Um, And I think I'm also expecting to learn so much from the people around me. I'm coming in straight from um, undergraduate and I know like there will be people who are much older than me and have much more work experience than me. And I'm honestly just really looking forward to getting to be surrounded by people who are, I guess, equally as passionate about the law and the areas of the law that they want to pursue Um, and just getting to like learn from them and be inspired by them. And at the same time, getting to sort of explore and like learn more about the areas, of the law that I'm passionate about and like in the future, how I could maybe use the law to pursue some idea of justice.
4: Uh, All right. Um, I expect law school to be full of surprises because I don't really know what it's like for myself. And it's pretty subjective. Everybody has different feedbacks and how they perceive law school. So I'm just gonna let it be uh, full of surprises. And also, I expect that I will be surrounded by a bunch of brilliant individuals whom I can learn from, whether it's a perspective or a way of thinking because everybody comes from different backgrounds with different environments and they learn different things along their journey.
5: Um, I am overall expecting it to be hard. I know it's going to be really challenging. Um, I went to a really competitive undergrad, but I majored in something that was practicum and practice-based, not academic test-based. So I weirdly have the experience of being surrounded by hyper-intelligent, hyper-competitive people, but I was not put to the academic test with them. Um, because it wasn't my major and you know, I took classes with them and, you know, I took a lot of very difficult classes there, but, um, I kind of feel that I know what the competitive environment feels like, but I'm not sure if I'm prepared for how academically competitive it is going to feel. And, you know, I, I uh, have high hopes, like others said, building a sense of community around me. I really found that I missed academia pretty much as soon as I graduated undergrad. So I'm really excited to be in that environment again. I'm also excited to build a new life and meet people who I'll hopefully know for a long time. Uh, The pandemic really threw the life path I was on to the wind. It really uprooted my life in a lot of ways. I'm sure it's similar for a lot of people. So I'm excited to sort of have a mental challenge and build something new around me.
7: So I think my expectations, they're not necessarily super unique, but I think they differ a lot from what I'm hearing, you know, generally on Reddit um, and kind of relating to what you were saying about people who pick, you know, Vanderbilt over Stanford or something like that. Because I think a lot of people are so focused on like job outcomes, which of course, like this is a huge expense. And that's definitely something that you have to consider. But I think that the next three years in law school can be like a really hugely transformative um, experience beyond just the education and just the job outcome. Like I know that that's what we're here for. That's the point of it. But it also like, to me, it's really important that it's also a meaningful experience in a lot of other ways and that I enjoy those three years and find some joy and some growth in it. So I think that's kind of what I'm really honestly most looking forward to is actually just the experience itself and the academic challenges and things like that, rather than just, oh, where can I get the best job outcome? I have to go and do the thing so that I can get the outcome. Because If I've learned anything being like an older student, it's that you can't control the outcome of anything. So just worry about doing what's right for you and the right results will happen.
0: The cool thing there is I was a horrible undergrad student who never took my life seriously at 19 years old, 20 and 21. Same. And yeah, and then I went to business school and I went with the focus of, well, let me just learn this stuff. And then so I happened to, as part of like embracing the learning, it very much helped me be successful, or I should say, accomplished, <laughs> given my previous <laughs> definition at business school. So I, I feel very optimistic for you.
8: On a similar vein, um, being first generation, I've spent my entire life working towards saving myself. And getting into law school has really been a relief in the sense that. In undergrad, I had to fight to be successful and to do what I wanted to do and to find my interests and do well and all of these things. And now that I'll be in law school next year, I kind of have this moment where I can I can relax in a sense. And I, and I know law school is difficult, but I kind of have spent the last four years in undergrad really finding my place in the world and finding what I'm passionate about. And I'm so lucky that where I'll be next year will, will give me that and will allow me to be myself and to and to kind of delve into my interests. You know, I'm I'm an academic type and law school is incredibly academic and it just feels right. And I'm very excited about that, that I've been given the immense privilege to be able to just work with and engage with material that I love and work with people and classmates and professors and the community in ways that I've dreamed of in many different ways. And it makes me incredibly excited and I know it's going to be hard and I know there's going to be many existential crises in the meantime, but I look forward to it. And also on top of that, I just growing up first, gen. it's one of those things where I've spent like the past few weeks kind of reflecting on how, you know, I'm in a gap year, you know, I have a job and all that kind of stuff. And the privilege of just being able to take another three years off to just work on myself and my career and my goals. It's just one of those things I feel so lucky to be able to do And I want to be able to take advantage of that within my three years, not only just taking classes and doing well, but also giving back to my community and being a part of clinicals and every single thing that I can do to make an impact. And it's just like one of those very profound moments that I've had where I kind of feel like everything that I've done has kind of led to this moment. And it's just one of those big sighs of relief that I've made it. And now I can just be myself and and enjoy the next three years.
1: Um,
9: I don't have a lot to say in response to this question because I don't know. I think I've really become well acquainted with working life. I really like my job and what I do and I'm hoping to return to the same firm. After law school, I've made a lot of connections there and a lot of, you know, mentor-like relationships and have really kind of found like the niche of what area of law I think I'd like to practice. And I think that that has been advantageous in many ways, obviously, but I think I've thought so much about the career end of things that I haven't really thought or done a lot of research into what law school itself is going to be like. I have a lot of friends and a couple ex boyfriends who have been in law school and have heard, you know, different things here and there, but it's funny, it's like, building up to this huge like process of applying and working towards something and taking me outside and doing all this and then i don't really know what law school itself is going to be like especially after you know getting used to working for a few years so i'm excited um i'm sure i'll like it i've always loved school i love learning um you know i think a lot of people say that kind of thing i would like never say that in application but I think there are things about it, especially one year, that are going to be horrible, but I don't really know in terms of like, takeaway what to expect. I think, like I said, especially coming from getting used to working for a little while, I don't really know.
10: I am not entirely sure what to expect going into law school. There's certain things I'm looking forward to and certain things I'm not looking forward to. Uh, Namely, it's strange to be entering into a sphere and also a career where so many people air their complaints about it so openly, and it has such a reputation for being challenging. And it's not always affirming to hear that about the career you're entering, especially school, when you just hear over and over again how notoriously challenging it is. So I'm a bit scared for that. And I'm scared that my own insecurities will come out through the challenges that we all will face during our 1L experience. I read 1L by Scott Turow and I thought it was so interesting. Even though it was written so long ago, I think probably a lot of those themes will hold true just that people will feel insecure people will question their own intelligence people will be met with the most intelligent peers they've ever had in their lives which will be both exciting and stimulating but also terrifying and when you're comparing yourself to them perhaps um maybe disheartening or kind of shatters the illusion that you had of yourself in an environment where you're surrounded with so many overachievers So I'm both scared and excited, and I expect it to be both exhilarating and maybe intimidating at times, which I can view as being challenging to my own sense of self, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And I finally got around to reading 1L last summer. I've been so fortunate to observe law school for so many years. Tarot wrote that 30 years before my observations being in law school as an administrator. And everything he said was just so spot on up to this day. So that's a great read. I'll give two other book recommendations. No one's going to recommend to you because everyone's going to recommend you read some book about law school. So one is called Brain Rules, and it's about how we can best utilize our most brain capacity, for lack of a better word. Seems kind of valuable for a law school student. That book really changed sort of my habits and mechanisms of of learning. The other would be Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. I just think law school is tough, but if you read this book, it'll make law school less tough. Those are just my two recommendations. It doesn't mean everyone has to read them, nor will everyone relate to them like I did.
12: So my expectations are kind of, it's more of how I want to approach law school is what I've been thinking about. And it relates to what you said about accomplishment versus success and how I I kind of talked earlier about, coming down with a chronic illness. And it really made me reflect on how I want to live my life. A lot of times when you're sick, that happens. And I I just saw that I focused so much in undergrad on accomplishment, like about a GPA. I was so worried about getting a GPA that I often sacrificed. I I didn't pursue experiences so much. And I, I think I missed out on the college experience a lot because I was, you know, in the library and so focused on getting a grade when it really didn't matter that much. And I, I think I would have preferred a few hits to the GPA and have had good friendships and participated in clubs and all that good stuff. So I think when I approach law school, I really want to build community and have experiences as well as, you know, obviously enjoying the academic side of things.
6: Um, okay, expectations. I am just a super nerd and I've always loved school so much. My parents love to remind me how in second grade, I asked them for homework over the summer, and that kind of is still me, as insane as that kind of sounds. And I've been out of school for a while now, and so honestly, I am just super excited to be going back to school. Um, And I think similarly to something that someone said earlier, uh, I've definitely been hustling for the past few years. I've been working in an industry that is um, generally pretty low paid, and It is very attractive to me to have some, you know, even if that includes taking out loans and going into debt, uh, some stability for the next few years in terms of what I'm doing. Because a lot of the work that I do is also contract by contract. And so I'm just excited to be, you know, have time to just learn. And I mean, (laughs) I hope that Reddit reflects the community of people I'll be learning with because everyone there is so lovely and supportive and encouraging, which is surprising and wonderful. I mean, I am also going into public interest. And so I think I'm also just really excited to be around the energy of folks who are, you know, kind of similarly, maybe a little idealistic, but hoping to, um, you know, have a similar impact on the world and to kind of just, I don't know, be idealistic and imagine cool futures together. I mean, I, I I don't know. I just I just want to learn. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm excited about. Uh,
14: yeah, I, I think that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm finishing up my master's degree right now, so I'm in my thesis semester. I also teach, like, a pretty full course load as a professor, and I've been nomadic for the last year because of COVID housing debacles, like, had COVID. I'm, like, really... I know this sounds, like, very... Uh, unintuitive but I'm really looking forward to the break of law school of getting to like be in one place and have an apartment that I have a lease on and like go to the same place every day hopefully we'll be going to a place and yeah the stability and also being able to like interact with people again sounds really exciting um, I am also pursuing public interest tracks. so being able to work on like pro bono cases at a lot of different schools that I'm applying to have programs for that and being able to interact with communities again, since um, I really do love community organizing and that kind of work. Yeah, I'm really excited. I feel like it's gonna be a whole lot of stability that I've been really desiring.
0: Optimistically, you wouldn't believe how much we track this, well, relative to anything I've ever tracked on the global health front. As a firm, we track this, I spend part of every day, and I'm very optimistic that life's going to return to normal, probably right around the semester you all start law school. I don't think it's going to be remote. I think it'll all be in person and you'll have apartment leases and all that.
14: I am knocking on the, my wood kitchen table.
16: Right yeah,
0: now. me too.
14: Um, yeah, expectations
16: for law school. I think for me, I work in homelessness advocacy. And so I just want to like, keep doing that. And I just want to be given tools to like, do it better, if that makes sense. So I really am just looking forward to being taught by really great professors in that field and collaborating with people who are also like similarly inclined to, even if they're going big law, just do pro bono work and just want to help the world in some way or another. So just looking forward to being better at a topic that I'm, I'm passionate about is probably one of my expectations. And then another one is like you've been mentioning insecurities and things. I know like totally honest, I completely suffer from imposter syndrome, especially seeing so many lovely and qualified applicants, like the people in this group, like people on Reddit. Um, it's so easy to think that you're, you might not be like worthy of the acceptances that you get. And so I think law school is going to be a great time to kind of like confront those insecurities and figure out good ways to, to remind yourself that, that you are worthy and deserving and um, you were let into these schools for a reason, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. So thank you for sharing that vulnerability. All I'm going to do is just add one thought. I stay in touch with a number of 1Ls every year. I should say number of people every year who become 1Ls. And when I ask them, what's been the hardest part of your 1L year? The most frequent answer is dealing with the high school like stresses of people around me. I call this to attention because no one ever, in the application process, no one ever thinks in those terms. A lot of great people go to law school. You can just tell by this group and the ethos in this group. But not everyone that goes to law school is a fully adjusted, self-aware, adaptive person. And law school brings out almost mortific insecurities in some people. And when those insecurities are expressed, they're often expressed at you but it's not about you, it's about the person expressing that. And I would always keep that in mind. Hopefully that's helpful. I only have one more question. If you could go back in time to like day one of the admission process, or you can think about it in this terms, if someone were to pop up on Reddit today and say, hey, I'm applying this coming cycle and this is day one for me, what advice would you give them?
1: Oh boy, what a loaded question. I mean, for me, I would give myself the advice of really enjoying writing my essays. I mean, I did. And in retrospect, that's been my favorite part of the process. Writing those essays was so cathartic. I would just say, like, if you're not enjoying that process or getting something from it, I think you're doing it wrong. And I I would just find a way to love that part of the process.
2: I feel like I would have two pieces of advice that are really extremely personal to my experience going through the process, but that's all I have to pull off of. And the first would be for students who are thinking about and want to write a diversity statement, but don't necessarily feel like, you know, they had one experience or one thing about their race or ethnicity or identity that like is directly applied to why they wanted to practice law. Um, that you should still write a diversity statement and to just be really, really thoughtful about it. I know that that was something that um, I struggled. And in some ways, it's just a tough thing because in some ways I still feel like I am learning about my race and ethnicity in different parts of, of my identity. And I wanted to highlight them in a diversity statement. I also felt like those experiences would influence maybe how I practice law or how I saw the law, but I didn't have a direct, clear, like, And this is why that'll help me in law school. And I really struggled and debated whether or not to write a diversity statement, how to do it. Ultimately, my advice would be that if you're someone like that, that you should. And to talk to people that you trust and have them, and that's true for the entire application process, talk to people that you trust. They're really, really great sounding boards especially when it comes to the essays, because you can really get great feedback from people who haven't even necessarily gone to law school or applied to law school just by having them read your essay. And my second piece of advice would probably be to really think carefully about where you apply to schools. I applied to a lot of safety schools because I felt like, oh, I'll hear back from them sooner and it'll be a great ego boost and give me more confidence for the rest of the cycle. But Then it was like, I got some of these acceptances for my safety school and it really didn't feel like much because ultimately I knew that I would maybe rather like work for another year or something like that than go to that school. And so in the end, I was like, yeah, I'm not really sure why I applied there or if that was really the best thing for me to do. I I think I could have put more thought and consideration into it. So those would be sort of my two, I guess sort of niche, but hopefully helpful pieces of advice.
15: Um, My two pieces of advice, I would say, First, I guess focus on yourself and just don't give up. For me, that was really helpful. I really related to what everyone was talking about, taking a long time studying for the LSAT. I took a year, which was a lot longer than I know a lot of people spend, just because that's how long it took me to get to my peak score. I was stalling for a long time um, and I really had to work really hard studying and just like not focus on how people I knew who were applying were doing on the LSAT and how well their studying process was going, um, but just kind of focusing on myself and just remembering not to give that up And I think the second thing is I wish I could have told myself to look into the resources more and don't be afraid to ask for help because I think, especially when approaching a process as complicated as the law school admissions process and like taking the LSAT, there's a lot of pieces of it that aren't always super accessible, especially if you don't have a high income. Some people have the ability to spend a lot of money on LSAT tutors and all these resources and there's resources for you out there if that is not an option for you and like, just finding ways to help learn about the process um, and get assistance and find like practice tests maybe that would be free because even studying materials you have to pay for and now like that I've gone through the process I have friends who I've been able to kind of pass those down to but I guess when I first started I wish I would have been more willing to kind of reach out and ask for that assistance
0: we're very cognizant of the fact that not everyone has the same resources as others. And as a firm, we're trying every year to put more and more free stuff out there for everyone. We, we try our best to be accessible. So thank you for bringing, it's a, it's a great reminder for us. Thank you.
3: Yeah. I would, I would actually love to just second that, like real, real be realistic about the money it takes to just apply, not, not go to law school. It's just apply. It's a, it's kind of a racket sometimes, but um, Yeah. Definitely agree with what someone said earlier being that this is such a loaded question because there's so much so much I would want to tell myself. I think there's a couple of things one. Uh, we live in a very brand centric world and brand centric country, especially. Um, it can be really, really appealing to go to schools with a you know, great lay prestige, but recognize there are schools outside of the T14 that you would do amazing at. Like They perform incredibly well, especially when you look at things like employment statistics. You No know, one would ever say UCLA is a bad school because it's not T14. Recognize t T14 is not the end all be all. Only two other things I, I would add are um, there are resources out there they're hard and I would love to give just a quick shout out to the guy who runs law school transparency. I don't know who you are, but I adore you. Thank you. You've been a lifesaver. I,
0: I actually admitted him. I admitted him to law school about like 18 years ago. What? Then, oh yeah. my
3: God. I think particularly because so, like, um, you know, I'm sure all of you listening to this you're going to be amazing you're going to get into multiple schools and one day you're going to have to compare those schools and it'll be really really hard because you know rankings only do so much um the things you tend to look at are employment data and uh law school transparency does a really nice comparative way to be like hey is this the school that's right for me what do i care about you know is it federal clerkship is it big law is it the ability to go into public interest what's up um so i think that is an amazing just a like straight up resource great and lastly, I would love to just say, say thank you to everyone who's gonna deal with you for the next realistically probably like six months to a year of this process of just applying um, for how annoying you're inevitably going to be. My fiance is a also a godsend and she has dealt with me being a very annoying person and I appreciate her and everyone out there is gonna, is gonna love you and support you, but recognize you know, you might talk about this a lot and nothing else for about a year. So say thank you to them
0: yeah on that note, I would say that I'm a particularly annoying person, and Anna deals with me and my stupid jokes that I text her all day long. So I would agree. Law school transparency is a wonderful resource. I wish more people would use it. We have a site called My Rank by Spivey that Anna put together that lets you rank things based on like how you weigh them. So you can completely exclude data points that US News and World Report puts the most weight on, or you could weight them as much as you want. So that's another resource. But the biggest piece of the puzzle in there, I I can't stress this enough, the number seven ranked school is not one better than the number eight ranked school and one worse than the number six ranked school. It's a meaningless comparison across so many levels. So for anyone in the future listening to this, please try to get to know the culture of the schools Because there's a lot of schools out there that punch above their brand, that do wonderfully, who care about the students, that you would probably be much better situated at going to than the school that might be ranked arbitrarily five points higher. So I I would applaud that note.
4: Um, So for new applicants, my piece of advice would be that if you have the resources, give Spivey Consulting a call. I am not paid to say this, but if Mike decides to sponsor me in the future, I will be happy to take it. I personally work with Nathan Neely from Spivey Consulting, and I can confidently say that he is the reason that I found this whole process fun. He pointed me towards all the right directions, gave guidance on everything that I asked for, and he brought the best out of me to put together the best package that I can possibly put together. I've got to learn more about myself, heal some past wounds, so I got more out of this process than I originally thought I would. Yeah, that's about all. Thank you.
5: All right. I would say that the entire law school admissions process and the LSAT prep period specifically is a marathon, not a sprint. I think a lot of highly competitive individuals uh, apply for law school and those highly competitive individuals tend to like instant gratification or if not instant gratification, quick gratification based on their typically above average talents and abilities. Um, but you have to know when you start this process, it's a slow climb and you're in it for the long haul. Um, I'd also say do not base your self-worth on the admissions process.
0: Thanks everyone. Great answers. I appreciate everyone's sincerity. Thanks everyone. Thank, Thank
3: you. you. Thank you. Mike.
10: Thank I'm you. Great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah,
0: Thank you. Thanks Thank everyone. You. Have a great day. Be safe on Reddit. Bye everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
7: Good luck everybody. Good luck. Bye.